Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, friends. It's uh, good to be here with you. That is always the case, and especially in the spring. I love this time of year. A couple of things you need to know about my family in order to really know us uh, closely. One is that we love Jesus. Two is that we hate winter. So you can kind of sum us up as a family in those two things. Like ever since 2015 hit, every day my daughter, Claire, four going on five, will uh, we'll come, we'll come up to my wife, Beth, and say, uh, is it spring yet? And of course, every day, Beth had to say to Claire, no, it's not. And then next day, is it spring yet? No, it's not. So finally, on the first day of spring, Claire asks, is it spring yet? And Beth says, yes, it's spring. And Claire says, yay, and she's so happy. And then just after a few seconds, she gets this look of horror on her face and says, wait, does this mean winter's coming again soon? <laughs> So we love the spring. I love the spring because, among other things, things change. You know what I mean? You're looking around and change is all over the place. The weather's changing. The trees are changing. Neighborhood life often changes as it warms up and people come outside. Now, some things in life don't change. We always need to certainly be aware of this. For instance, I'm going to show you a picture here real quick. See that? That is uh, what you're looking at is the number of World Series titles that the Chicago Cubs had as of 1908. And uh, this next slide is actually the amount of World Series titles that the Cubs has, have as of 2015. So we'll show that. Oh, yeah, it's the same one. So I have to get him in while I can. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have. But uh, you, you get what I'm saying. Generally speaking, life changes. People change. We grow older. Sometimes we change for the better. Sometimes we change for the worse. Sometimes we get bigger or smaller or uh, faster or slower or smarter or dumber. We change, you know. And the same thing is true when it comes to our faith. When it comes to life with God, when it comes to spirituality, we change. Where you are today is not where you'll be a year, two years, five years from now. And I'd love to say that when it comes to faith, we only move forward, but you know that's not the case. You know that's not true, that that just because a person starts down the right path, that doesn't mean that they're going to stay on the right path or finish on that same path. Let me read you a quote I heard uh, not too long ago, I read this in a book, and it's a beautiful quote kind of describing Christianity. Let me, let me read it along to you. It's kind of long, so follow along with me. Here's what it says. Union with Christ consists in the most intimate communication with him, and having him before our eyes and in our hearts, and being so filled with the highest love for him, at the same time we turn our hearts to our brothers whom he has closely bound to us, and for whom he also sacrificed himself. That's a beautiful quote. This, this intimate communion we enjoy with Jesus and this love that we uh, feel towards others as a result of what Jesus has done for us and for them. Uh, this quote is fairly you know, normal, except what's interesting is it was written by a man you may have heard of. His name is Karl Marx. He went on to write um, a few different books with some athe- atheistic-based theories about how society should be structured that led to the deaths of thousands, if not millions, of people. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he was a committed, devoted Jesus follower for a decent portion of his life. 
Sometimes we start out down the right path and that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to stay on that same path or finish where we started. Unless dramatically we look at our own lives and we wonder at times, why do I lose my patience at work or with the kids? Why do I continue to be lazy instead of working hard? Why do I lose, my, lose control of my pride or my eating or, or the, the images that flash through my mind? Why do I care more about my team winning than I do about my non-believing friends coming to know Jesus? And for some of you, maybe it's why when I compare myself to the passion and commitment that I had at first and I look at the passion and commitment that I have now, why is there such a large gap between the two and not in the right direction? Why do we fall? Or more to the point for most of us, why do we drift? I can tell you what I think it's not. I think it's not that we wake up one day and say, I'm done with this God stuff. I'm walking away out of nowhere. No, that's not how it happens. It's not even that we wake up one day out of nowhere and say, you know, I still believe in stuff, but I got these other things going on in my life that are kind of more important right now, so God's going to have to you know, take a back seat, and maybe I'll get to it a little bit later when I'm older or when things in my life change. No, the process is not that, that direct. It doesn't just happen in a moment. The process is much more subtle. And it begins with a failure to focus, a failure to remember what it is we believe and why we find the gospel compelling enough today to give our lives to it. Long before we deny the gospel, we lose sight of it. Long before we walk away from the truth, we stop thinking about it. Long before we reject Jesus, we forget what he looks like. Long before we start drifting, we stop focusing ourselves on what this book has to say to you and to me. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, and I think you can take this to the bank. The less frequently you remind yourself of the truth, the more likely you are to believe the lies that come at you every day from every direction. Let me say that again. The less frequently you remind yourself of the truth, the more liable you are to believe the lies. But the good news is the opposite is also true. The more you feast your mind on the truth, the more it will take root in your mind and heart. Repeating truth reinforces faith and not just reinforces us in our blindness, but pushes us further into what we believe to be true about reality. So with all this in mind, over the course of the next few months, we are together going to study the book of Ephesians. Our theme for this series, as Elijah told you, is repurposed. Repurposed is a furniture word where you take a piece of furniture and you look at this. Somebody at some point looked at this suitcase and looked at these, suit, these seat cushions and said, you know what, I don't see garbage. I don't see trash. I don't see junk. I see something new. And then they took those old things and they turned them into something new. And what we're going to discover is that in the book of Ephesians, God, by his grace, is restoring us in a very similar way. What we do when we look at old furniture is the same thing that God does when he puts us back together. I've got to confess to you that this is my favorite book in the Bible. I'm not just saying that. We started this year, 2015, studying Mark, my favorite gospel. Now we're studying my favorite book, like, of all, all 66. This is number one on my list. That's written by a guy named Paul, and he wrote a lot of letters, and a lot of them are really important. And Romans is probably the most important one, but Romans is like 16 chapters, Ephesians is like six, okay? So this is a little bit more stomachable, if, I don't know if that's a word, a little bit more stomachable, if you know what I mean. Like, it's just easier to take this in easy doses. Also, one of the reasons why I love Ephesians is it was written to these Jesus followers in a place called Ephesus, but it wasn't just written to them. It was what we call a circular letter. 
And the idea is, I'm going to send it to you guys, because you're kind of the main city in your area, and then you make copies, and you send it out to all the other areas. Most of the time in Paul's letters, he's dealing with specific problems. In this one, this is not a problem. This is just Paul laying out for all Jesus' followers everywhere what he thinks is true. So I love this letter. I think it's beautiful and wonderful and applicable all the time, relevant every moment. But for this series to work, you have to consider the possibility that loving Ephesians is not just a quirk of mine. You've got to consider the possibility that we're sitting on a gold mine when it comes to the book of Ephesians. That as we open up this text, you're going to be opening up the most important truths that were ever spoken. The best, the best news that's ever been spread across the airwaves. That's what I'm looking for when we read Ephesians. And that's what I tell you to look for as well. Because what we're looking for will make a difference. I heard one time about this teenager who was playing basketball in his driveway and his contact lens popped out. It was one of his last ones. And so he's looking for this thing for like 30 minutes to an hour, can't find it, goes inside, says, Mom, I lost my contact lens. It's nowhere to be found. Mama says, I got this. And so she goes outside, comes back in in like two minutes, and she's got the contact lens on her finger. And her son's like, Mom, how'd you do that? And she says, well, you see, we were looking for two very different things. You were looking for a small round piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I can't control what you look for when we open up Ephesians, but I can tell you why I think it matters to look for the right things, and I can tell you what I think I see. So let's open up the book. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. Um, it is uh, towards, the, towards the back third of your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or if you're new to this thing, we'd love to put one in your hand. So find us on the way out, and we'll get you one. For now, you can follow along on the screens, and uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 3 and reading on through verse 14, and I'm just going to warn you, there's a lot in here, so you might, we actually installed some, some safety belts in the seat, so you might want to take that out and buckle up right now. All right, turn to Ephesians 1, I'm going to read verse 3, and I'm going to go on through to 14. Here's what Paul says, you ready? I'll take that as a yes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. Like if this was a bed, I would lay down on it right now and take a nap. Like what was that? You ever been to church and you've heard a preacher who's like trying to, set, trying to fit too much into one sermon, into one like small, you're shaking your head, like don't answer that question actually, I don't, I don't know anybody like that, and I'm sure you've never experienced that in your lives. But you know what this reminds me of, this, this, this uh, verse, is actually my daughter when she first wakes up in the morning, so I'm a slow waker, 
I can get up as early as you want, but I'm not going to be talking much for a while, you know? Like, this thing just doesn't work yet. Anybody else like that? Like me, a little slow? Yeah, Claire is the opposite of this. So on days whenever I'm still at home, uh, when she wakes up, I'll sometimes go in there to greet her, and I'll wake her up and say, Hi, Claire, how are you? And she'll, she'll pop up, and she'll say, Oh, hi, Daddy, I had a good night's sleep, and I dreamed about Winnie the Pooh, and Winnie the Pooh is friends with Christopher Robin, and Christopher Robin's a boy, and you're a boy, but you're a bigger boy, and Carson's a boy, but he's a smaller boy, and Carson, he tries to hit me sometimes, and you tell me that we're supposed to be best friends, but I don't want him to hit me, and we should watch a movie today. We could watch Toy Story 1, we could watch Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, we could watch uh, The Croods, we could also watch Frozen, or we could watch Big Hero 6, and I'm like, Babe, slow down. But that's how Paul feels to me in this passage. This is Paul imitating Claire. He's going off and he's saying everything he possibly can in this one small compact piece. And there's no way we could unpack every detail in this, okay? So rest assured, I'm not going to try. And we really shouldn't. That's not the point. He'll unpack this for us as we go throughout this letter. He's just trying to introduce his body of thought up front here. He's just trying to create an impression. And the, creation, the impression that he wants to create, the point that he wants to make right here at the beginning, quite simply, is that being saved is awesome and God is awesome for saving us. So we should praise him. In a nutshell, I think that's what he wants to say. In Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, being saved is awesome and God is awesome for saving us. We should praise him. His goal up here is not even primarily to inform as much as it is to overwhelm us. You know how I know that? This super long, complex portion of scripture, 202 words in the original language of Greek is one sentence. Like in the Greek, there's no periods. You don't stop and start again. It's one thought that you start and you just keep going. That's a long, that might be like the longest sentence in all of ancient literature. Most translations today will divide it up into six sentences or eight sentences. There's this one. It's actually probably the clearest one. Fifteen sentences, five paragraphs. Just try to understand what it is that Paul's trying to pack in this small box here. That's a lot to say. And it's not just length either. The depth of this passage is astounding. You've got loaded words like grace and redemption and predestination and forgiveness and chosen. Also, if I could uh, just paint a couple of broad strokes over this, here's how we're going to do this. Uh, We're going to read the text, we're going to paint some broad strokes for you, and then we're going to read it again and, and try to pull out a few of the details to try to see what we can take home. But let me just paint with some broad brush strokes over the whole of this, and I want you to notice some of what you see, the ground that Paul is covering here in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Notice, first of all, that we've got all of God covered here. Like we believe uh, mysteriously that God is somehow in some way three in one, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here we have all the members of the Trinity. You've got God the Father up top, who's the source of the blessing. And then periodically as you go throughout, to the praise of his glorious grace, for the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. That's about God the Father. So multiple times you have attention being given to God the Father. The Son, Jesus Christ, is everywhere. You've got in Christ, in him, in whom, almost 10 times in this small passage. He's all over the place. And even the Holy Spirit. Up top, when Paul says that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, we probably ought to capitalize that S because it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And even if not, when we get to the end, he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So you've got all of God covered, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've also got all of time covered, like since before it began. 
So we've got prehistory. Before you were around, there's a, there's a predestining that takes place before you. Then we've got your past when it comes to the word forgiveness, your present in the word redemption, and your future in the idea of being sealed for the day that is still to come. So Paul's not ever cover, not only covering all of God, he's covering all of time. And just to top it off, he's covering all of you. At the end there, he starts to talk about we came into Christ first and then you were included in as well. What he's talking about there is the distinction between Jews and Gentiles, which in his word was a way of talking about everyone. So note this. Paul says in this passage, all of God has been working throughout all of time to save all of you. Like I said, Paul's trying to pack a lot into a small, tiny box. This is like if, um, if you're building a house made entirely out of bricks. If you took all of the bricks for the house and put them into the bed of one small pickup truck. Like, I don't even know if it would work. I don't even know if they would fit. But I know that if they fit, that truck's not moving very fast. Or it's like, it's like if you take all of the words from all of the paperwork from doing your taxes. It's time, by the way, if you weren't aware. You need to get that done. So if you take all of the words from all of these multiple documents and try to fit them all onto one piece of paper, any idea how small that font would be and how loaded these words would need to be in order to make it work? Like You don't talk like this if you want the people hearing to go, now wait a second, how many eggs did my kids collect from the lawn last week? No, Paul wants to grab your attention and hold on to it for as long as he can and do as much with it in a small amount of time as is possible. Like I said, being saved is awesome and God is awesome for saving us. We should praise him. But hold on a second. Let me pick at one piece of this because this word saved is doing a lot when it comes to my summary of this passage, and that is a weird word. Like, I don't know what you think when you think of saved, but I got all kinds of images and movies and people on street corners and strange things being said and weird t-shirts and odd bumper stickers. All that comes to mind for me, strange hashtags, all of it, when I hear the word saved. So we got to back up and say, what does this mean? It's a good question. And I can't think of a better place to answer that question than this passage. Paul sums up everything he says in verse 13. The message of truth the gospel of your salvation. And I think what we're going to discover when we take another look, if we pay close attention, is that this gospel of salvation meets you wherever you are, whoever you are. So let's read the text again, and I'm going to slow down this time. I'm going to try for us to take in as much of this as we can. Follow along, again, either in your Bibles or on the screens. One more time, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves." In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Verse 3 tells us that God should be praised. Verses 4 through 14 attempt to tell us why. And what I want to do right now is I want to unpack seven of those reasons. I know that sounds like a lot. We'll give a decent time to a few of these. Some we'll just mention fairly quickly. Seven of these reasons why God should be praised. Seven of these blessings that come to us in Christ. And the first one is the general one. God has blessed us. He's blessed us. I know, speaking of cheesy Christian hashtags, this is like the best one. And yet it's an effective way to say, like, my life is actually blessed. It's a word that means literally to speak well of someone, and then by extension, to do good to someone. That's, this is just a general catch-all. The reason we use it as a general word is because it is a general word. What it means is to bless someone is to do good to someone. To be blessed is when people have done good things to you. So what Paul's saying here is God has done you good, like a lot of good, like all every the good. So are you grateful for the many things, no doubt, that people have done for you, the ways that people have helped you get to where you are? I mean, good. You should be. But let's just acknowledge that nobody we know has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Like, it's not possible for anybody else other than God. And on the flip side, do you ever feel like your life is just one scene after another of watching other people win? of watching somebody else get the job, get the raise, get the girl, of seeing another person catch the break, win the prize, find the golden ticket. Do you ever look around and say, why does everything good seem to be happening to everybody else? When am I going to get my time? When is somebody going to do something good for me? Let me tell you with all the sensitivity that I can that you and I asking that question doesn't make any sense. Now, I do not... I do not want to be dismissive of of the pain that you may have brought into this room. I get it. We've all had those seasons where everywhere we look around us, everything seems to be going the wrong way. And Paul does not say, no, 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 look around you again. Paul says, look up above at the horizon so that you can see the big picture. And when you look up at the horizon, what you recognize is that none of us has any basis for saying, nobody's ever reached out to help me. Um, God has. He has blessed you. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Now let's keep going because Paul gets more specific. Number two, God chose us. He chose us. He didn't just bless us, generally speaking. He chose us. Now, this is a word that recalls the Old Testament. And I don't know if you are a person who's read the Bible a lot or maybe not at all. I don't know if you've been in church your whole life or maybe you just came last week with a friend or family member and you come back. Awesome. Thanks for being back. We're glad you're here. We want to help you process faith and think through who we believe God is uh, and, and just help you, help you wrestle with that. So let me give you a basic overview of the Bible. The whole first two-thirds of it is called the Old Testament. And it's about God choosing one family, these people group called Israel, and working through them. So the world gets all jacked up because we jack it up, and then God chooses this one family, and he says, I'm going to work through you, and you're going to be my instrument that I use to bless everybody else. 
And then the whole Old Testament story is moving forward, telling us that story, ups and downs, ins and outs. And then we get to this final point where it all looks forward to Jesus. And then we cross over into the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus being the fulfillment of all that, and then this blessing extending out into all the world. Now, when Paul says God chose us, he's thinking back to the way the Bible describes God's relationship to Israel. He chose them. And sometimes when you hear this story, you think, why would God do this? Like, what was the reason why he chose them of all people? So glad you asked, because the Bible actually tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. It says, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So when Paul says in Ephesians 1 that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, what he's saying is it's not because you were lovely or powerful or successful that God chose you. It's because he's God. Now, I don't care how successful or lovely or powerful you are. Maybe you've never failed in your life. If so, like, awesome, good for you. I don't care who you are, though. Nobody wants to hear the words, I don't want you. Nobody wants to look around and feel like nobody else in the world wants them. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like nobody wants you? <laughs> we could... We could go in so many different directions with this, and I'll spare you the pain of reliving your failed adolescent romances, but I do want to talk about picking teams for just a second. You remember how, like, picking teams was a part of our life for a while? So glad it's not. You know, think about this process. It's no wonder we created a counseling industry, you know? So you take a group of kids, and you line them all up over here, and then you put the power couple over here, the captains, you know? And they're letting me know, you kind of stink at this, so I'm, I'm picking you. And then you, and then you, and you go back and forth. If you're standing over here in line and everybody else is getting picked, that, just, that pit in your stomach is just growing because nobody wants to be the one who's picked last. And whether it's not being good enough to be picked for the team or feeling like your parents always preferred your brother or sister to you or watching when your boss gave the promotion to your business partner even though you're the one that did all the work, I don't know what it is for you. But I know that nobody wants this feeling of being unwanted, unchosen. Well, God chose you. Now, that doesn't mean your faith doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that God chose some of you to be saved and some of you not to be saved and there's nothing you can do about it. Not at all. Like the entirety of Scripture renders such a thought ridiculously one-sided. When, God, when Paul says God chose you, the point is not you had no part in this. The point is that God made the first move. He took the initiative, not you. We talk about finding God, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that language per se. But let's just acknowledge he isn't hiding. He's looking for you. You feel like no one wants you? It's not true. God does. He picked you first. He chose you before he did anything else, before the creation of the world. And then Paul builds on this with the third one, the third blessing, the third reason for praising him. God predestined us for adoption. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship in Jesus Christ. Now i got to be clear about what this one does and doesn't mean because it is especially easy to understand. There's a lot of confusion on this. 
And a lot of people think that what predestined means is that God was sitting before time and he was like, all right, I'm going to pick some people to be saved, to go to heaven, and other people to not, to go to that other place. And I'm going to rig the system so that there's nothing anybody can do except what I've already determined ahead of time is going to go down. Let me say this as clearly as I can. That is not true. That is not biblical. That is not what Paul says here. Paul's point is that God has been planning this for a long time, long before you were here. And what his plan is, is that everybody who believes in Jesus would be adopted into God's family, would be God's sons and daughters. Let me put it to you like this. It's like if I said, you know, hey, everybody who comes into this room at 5 p.m. tonight and stays until 8 p.m., Come in at five by five, stay till eight. Everybody who does that is going to get a $1,000 gift card to Walmart and a lifetime supply of Krispy Kreme donuts. I'd be here for the record. I don't know about you guys. Like, I'd be showing up, you know. And so I'm predestining that everybody who's here gets that. And so when you show up, you know why you're here. You know the benefit that's coming to you if you stick around. But I haven't decided which of you are coming and which of you aren't. I haven't predestined who's going to be in the room and who's not. I've predestined what's going to happen to those who are in the room. And the same thing is true with the gospel. God hasn't predestined who's going to believe in Jesus and who's not. He's predestined that those who believe in Jesus will receive certain benefits. And as much as I love Krispy Kreme donuts, the benefits of the gospel do not compare. Because the benefit that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 for those who would believe in Jesus is adoption. You get to be part of God's family. Now, I would never presume to understand what it's like to grow up without a mom or a dad. But I imagine that one of the hardest parts of that is just not having that person who's smarter than you and stronger than you and has your back in your corner no matter what. For those of you who had to go through this, I, I, I hurt so badly for you. But even for those among us who didn't grow up parentless, I think we know what it's like at some level to look around and wonder if anybody bigger and stronger than you has your back, is in your corner. And here's the good news. God has decided to be that for you. Father, Abba, Dad. You ever feel like your life is just a wanderous, an aimless wandering through the world with nobody in your corner? It's not. Because you were predestined to be adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ, to be part of his family. Number four, God redeemed us. He redeemed us. There's a lot of words in here that sort of communicate the same kind of idea, but I want to hold on to this. God redeemed us. For instance, Paul says that we were chosen to be holy. That's a similar word. Holy means in this case, you're not dirty. You're clean. You're not all funky, messy, dirty. You're beautiful, unstained. Blameless is a similar word. You want to know what blameless means? It's the opposite of doing laundry for teenagers. You know what I mean? Like you do laundry for kids and you got stains all over everything, especially toddlers actually, probably even more so. Now, like this is the opposite. There are no stains. There's no contamination. There's no funkiness. He uses the word forgiven. I think you know what that means. Over a lifetime of rejecting God, you accrue a certain debt that needs to be repaid, but you can't repay it. Good news, he forgave you. But the one I want to hold on to that I think brings all of these together is this word redeemed. This is a slavery word. And this is a word that says you were dead in slavery to sin, but now you've been set free and brought back to life. I think many of us in this room need to hear this, though probably for different reasons. For some of you, it's something that you've been hiding for a long time. Maybe nobody even knows about it, but it follows you around like this black cloud that you can never get freed from. For others, it's, it's what you did last night. 
Maybe it's hiding the liquor or, or saying something mean to your husband or wife or, or just, just whatever. I don't know what it is. Whatever it may be, you're just ashamed about it right now as we speak. And still for others, it's, it's this sense of dirtiness and contaminatedness that isn't even a result of anything you did at all, but a result of what somebody else did to you. Do you ever feel like this is always going to be your story? Like you're going to be stuck in sin? Like you're never going to measure up to God's standards? Like you're never going to be able to be described by words like clean, pure, worthy? It's not true. Because in Christ you have been redeemed, holy, blameless, forgiven, redeemed. All right, these last three we're going to walk through fairly quickly. Number five, God let us in on the plan. He let us in on the plan. He says in verse uh, 8, 9, and 10, he said that God in all the riches of his wisdom and understanding made known to you the mystery of his will. In other words, he told you the secret. He let you in. You are now in the know. You remember what it was like uh, when you're growing up and like knowing stuff was a thing? Like some kids know stuff and other kids don't know stuff, you know? It's usually like inappropriate stuff. I'll never forget this story or this, 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 uh, this time I was on, um, I was on a church bus and uh, our church van, and I was in the, in the back, and we're talking, and there's these two guys who are a year older than me, and they're talking about hormones. And I have no idea what they're talking about. So I'm just sitting there, like, <laughs> laughing, you know. And this one guy, he's such a punk, man. He looked back at me, he said, do you even know what a hormone is? Actually, he said it like this, do you even know what a hormone is? And I'm like, yeah, no, no. And he goes, every man has one. <laughs> Stay in school, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, what the heck's wrong with you? But you remember what it was like whenever you like, people know stuff, and, and maybe you didn't know stuff. And that same kind of thing still happens today, only today it takes the form of a group of executives at a business table, and you realize that you're the only one in the boardroom that doesn't know about this business plan that everybody else seems to be in on. Or you're, uh, you know, talking to the neighborhood moms, and all of a sudden you realize there's this get-together that nobody informed you about or invited you to. And what Paul's saying is, that's not going to happen here. You will laugh at the punchline. And not one of those, I don't really know what's funny, but I'm going to laugh anyway because I don't want to be looking dumb right now. No, like, you're going to get it. You're going to get the joke. You're in the know. You understand the secret. He's told it to you that the one thing that weaves together all the threads of human history is the Jesus you know and love. He's let you in on the plan. Number six, God gave us a role to play. It's not just that he chose you to be part of his team. It's not just that he told you what was going on. He gave you a part in this. Did you notice in verse 11 it says, in him you were also chosen? And if you're reading real closely, you might think, like, why would you say also chosen? Because you just said up in the verse earlier that we're chosen. Why can we be chosen and also chosen? It's actually a different word. The first word is a word that says, I want you on my team. The second chosen is a word that says, now here's the role that you have to play. The first one says, you're on my team. The second one says, okay, you guard that guy. And this is Paul's way of saying, then to the Jews and Gentiles, and by extension to all of us, you're not here just to take. You're here to give. You're not here just to consume, but to enjoy the benefits of salvation and to do whatever you can to play your small part to extend those outward to everybody else. You've been given a role to play. And number seven, God sealed us. He sealed us. This is the last part of this verse. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Are you one of those people who's always waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know, the finances are good, but the market could turn. Relationships are doing well, but you know people are so fickle, you know? Teams winning, but hey, injuries happen all the time. Well, as annoying as you might be to your optimist friends, fact is, like, you got a point. You might be right. Like, there's very little in life that we can count on 100%. 
Well, even if that list is short, Paul says salvation is on it. He doesn't say, you're in for now, but let's hope for the best. He says, no. God says, let me put my spirit inside you so that you know beyond doubt that your hope is secure. This story's going to end, and you'll find yourself on the right side of redemption. So to review, you think you're a person who's had to watch everybody else be given gifts and benefits and opportunities while you sat in the corner receiving nothing? On the contrary, God has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are not a person whom no one wants on their team. On the contrary, the God of heaven and earth chose you before the creation of the world to be part of his group. You are not a person who's wandering aimlessly through life with nobody to watch their back. On the contrary, God has predestined you for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. You're not a person who's forever stuck in the habits and hang-ups that hold you down. On the contrary, by grace, you are holy and forgiven and blameless and redeemed. You're not a person who's been left in the dark to try to figure out their way through life, find their own path through this hostile and threatening world. On the contrary, with all wisdom and understanding, God made known to you the mystery of his will. You are not a person who's been relegated to the bench, who just has to sit there and watch while everybody else does their thing. No, you too have been brought into the story at this particular moment in history to move it forward. And finally, you are not a person who has no idea how the story will turn out and whether you'll be on the winning side when it comes to an end. On the contrary, you have been marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I think it's safe to say that being saved is awesome and God is awesome for saving us. We should praise him. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.